Today's passage can be found in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 39 and 40. It's Hebrews chapter 11, verses 39 and 40. Hear now the word of the Lord. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. This is God's word. Amen. You may be seated. Won't you pray with me? Father, we trust you now to accomplish your purposes through your word. I ask for boldness and for clarity in my speech and for the power of the Spirit to apply truth to us this morning from this text. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's a joy to be in the house of the Lord together with you all this morning. I do want to acknowledge what is probably already being given away here by my accent, but I am not Pastor Moody. <laughs> yeah, some of you are just waking up and, oh, he's not. Um, as Pastor Josh Moody said last week, um, he had a surge, upcoming surgery, and so he has had that surgery, was successful, and he is now recovering from that gallbladder surgery. My name is Baxter Helm. I'm the high school pastor here, and so I'll be filling in uh, for this sermon today. And at the outset of our time, I do want to encourage us as a church family to keep Pastor Josh Moody in our prayers as he rests and recovers. I know he sends his greetings to all of you this morning. Well, it's an exciting Sunday for a number of reasons. Uh, Pastor Maurer already made note that it's Reformation Sunday, but it's also a Sunday that we're kicking off a new series. And we are returning to the book of Hebrews, and the tagline for this series we've called A Better Future. A Better Future. And so over the course of the next seven weeks, we'll be journeying from the end of Hebrews chapter 11 all the way through the end of the book, uh, which concludes in chapter 13. Today we're going to kick it off with chapter 11, verses 39 and 40. If I had to give a title for this text this morning, it would be a privileged position. A privileged position. A few years ago when I lived in the city of Chicago, I was in a rec soccer league. And during one of the games, the ball was bouncing in the middle of, of the field. And so I started to sprint towards the ball. And it took a rather large bounce and I elevated to head the ball. And as I elevated, an opposing player also sprinted in the direction and elevated at the same time. We both pulled our heads backward and followed through to head the ball. However, we collided in the air and our heads hit one another and we crumpled to the ground. I had never been concussed before 
But over the course of the next 20 minutes after that happened, I realized what it felt like. I felt confused. I felt slow to react. And I felt like I couldn't understand my position on the field in relation to everything around me. And so I removed myself from the game, took myself out in order to get my bearings. I don't know where you guys are at, but maybe you can resonate with that today in some sense. We live in a world that sends so much at us at such a high velocity that it can feel like we're waking up in the morning getting knocked in the head by the news, by social media, whatever it may be. Concussed by the chaos and confusion of our day. Whether you're a Christian or you're a non-Christian, we all alike experience this. But the Bible is a great place for us to go to gather our bearings and to get our bearings. And so we want to gather ourselves and situate ourselves in the truth this morning. And it's the place that we can go to understand our position. And as my title suggests, it is a privileged position. Now this text is not exhorting us this morning. That's not what it's doing. The exhortation at the end of our text actually comes the beginning of chapter 12. And so the end of chapter 11 is actually the grounds or the reasoning to prepare the reader for the exhortation that happens in chapter 12. It's simply telling us what we have. Something that we need to know that we have. It is positioning the reader in chapter 11 in order to push the reader towards endurance in chapter 12. And so what is it? What is it that we, the people of God, have? What's the main point this morning? Here it is in 11 words for you to remember. God has given us a better present and a better future. That's the privileged position of his people. God has given us a better present and a better future. And the case for this is made by the author in three parts, all right? So we're going to work through these parts the way the author lays them out. And here are the three parts. In verse 39, the author focuses in on the past. In verse 40a, the first half, the author focuses in on the present. And in 40b, it's the future. What's interesting is in each of these parts, there's a different group of people that are emphasized. So in the past, you'll see it says all of these people. The people that he's just talked about earlier in chapter 11. In the present, it's all of us. Us living now. And the future is both the past and the present it's everyone coming together. It is all together. The past, the present, the future. All of these, all of us, all together. The author doesn't jump straight to the present. 
The author instead decides to begin with the past in order for us to interpret the present. So that's where we're going to begin. So take a look at verse 39 in your Bibles. I'm going to read it again. Let's move into our first point, the past. Here's what verse 39 reads. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. And so we're given a question right off the bat. Who are all of these? Who are these people that the author is talking about referring to here? And the prior literary context shows us that all of these are the men and women of faith in the Old Testament. These are the saints of old. Scan chapter 11 for a moment. Maybe you're familiar with it. Look at some of the names that we see here in chapter 11. Names like Abel. Names like Noah. Names like Abraham. Isaac. Jacob. Moses. David. Samuel. Why are they all here? Because they're being used as examples of men and women who have lived by faith. By faith is the refrain that's repeated 19 times in chapter 11. They lived by faith, and as verse 13 says, they died in faith. These are those who endured. We're told by way of the context that the author is concerned with the endurance of his readers. Where do we see that? Well, if you go back to chapter 10, verse 36, it reads, For you have need of endurance. And so our text is situated between two calls for endurance. And this is what verse 39 is talking about. It is a summary statement of chapter 11, verse 4, all the way through 38, summarizing the people who endured. And they received one thing, but they did not receive something else. Maybe you caught that. What did they receive? What does the text say? It says they received commendation for their faith. It's there in verse 2. It's there in verse 39. But what did they not receive? They did not receive what was promised. Or it could be understood and translated as they did not receive the promise. They did not obtain the promise. And although chapter 11, you may point out to us and to me that well, verse 17 and 33 says they, they did receive promises. They obtained promises. That's true. But we must understand this in light of them not ultimately receiving what was promised. Listen to 11, verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. I love that. And having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. The chapter gives us the image of someone who's greeting someone from far away. And maybe you've experienced this where someone's walking close to you from a ways off, but you can see them. And they begin to wave. And you wave back instinctually and you greet them, but you're not quite sure that you recognize who it is yet. 
don't fully recognize, even as you walk towards them. This was their relationship with the coming promise. They greeted it from afar without receiving it. The chapter describes these men and women of faith as travelers, as sojourners, looking forward to a promise. And that promise is interestingly described as a city in verse 10. A city that God is preparing for them in verse 16. But a city that they didn't arrive at. They received commendation for their faith, but they did not receive the promise. And let me say this. The reason they didn't receive the promise was not because of something that they did wrong. That, that didn't prompt why they didn't receive it. Because you would think if anyone deserved to receive the promise in their lifetime, it's some of these people written about here. Look at verse 35 and 36. These people were tortured. Some of them mocked, flogged, imprisoned, stoned, sawn in two, and killed for their faith. They deserved it, right? Of all people. But no, we're, we understand that God's promises cannot be earned. We cannot force God's hand, but they can and should be trusted all the way from life to death. They lived by faith and they died in faith. What a commendation and testimony to leave on your gravestone. Here lies Sarah. Here lies Mark. Here lies, insert your name, who lived by faith and died in faith. That's the position of those in the past. And it's given to us in order that we rightly interpret and understand our position in the present And so let's look at the present. It's the first half of verse 40. I'll reread it from the beginning. Listen to this. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. That's the past. Since God had had provided something better for us. God has provided something better for us in the present. And it's better than what they had in the past. He's comparing It's a differentiation here. Without knowing the past, you can't know that the present is better. And so what is this something better that the author of Hebrews is referring to? It's the better new covenant realities inaugurated by the work of Christ compared to the old covenant realities. We spent a lot of time this summer in chapter 10 of Hebrews and if, we've, if we reflect back on verses 19 through 21, we know that these realities have been given to us and given to the reader. These are what we presently have. We have, in this moment, confidence to come before God, to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. 
we have in this moment a great high priest. Jesus is presently interceding for us. Hebrews 10.14 says, For by a single offering, Jesus has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. What a sentence. Chapter 9, verse 12 says, Christ has secured eternal redemption. We have these things in this room. We have it. And this is the position that's offered to anyone today who would seek to receive this position by faith. But lest we start thinking much of ourselves, we must heed the reminder in this text. What's the reminder? It's there in verse 40. Since God had provided. (laughs) It's God who's provided these things. This was not earned. This was graciously given to us. I think if we're honest with ourselves, sometimes when you have something for a while and you're immersed in it, your appreciation for it can slowly dissipate and just disappear. It's, it's like this building, this sanctuary. We walk in here, I walk in here every week. This magnificent space that's been provided for by generous giving and planning and is maintained for us. And rarely do I look around at the columns and the elevation of this building and remark upon its beauty and just appreciate it. It's easy to take things for granted. I have a friend who, in the middle of simple moments in the day, he will pause, he will look around, and he will go, how great is this? I'll be honest, it's a little strange sometimes. The first few times I heard him say that, I remember asking, why do you do that? What's prompting you to do that? And he said, I just want to remind myself to appreciate the moment. I just want to take it all in. Do you know what effect that has on somebody? What effect that had on me? It is contagious. It calls and exhorts me towards that appreciation. How much more should we be living in gratitude for the present realities we have in Christ right now? We have a privileged position. And our appreciation of this position is and ought to be contagious in this room and outside of this room. There is no greater gift that has ever been given than the Son of God giving His life for you, that you might know Him in true relationship, that your sins might be forgiven. The demonstration of His love. How great is our God! Jesus puts it this way in Matthew. He says, Others long to see what you see. They long to see what you see and did not see it. And to hear what you hear 
and did not hear it. May we strive as college church to never take our privileged position in Christ for granted. For there were many that longed for this day who died in faith in chapter 11 waiting for some of these realities. John Calvin, the theologian of old, when speaking about this passage, says this, and I love this quote. Listen to this. If those on whom the great light of grace had not yet shone showed such surpassing constancy in bearing their ills, what effect ought the full glory of the gospel to have on us? He goes on, a tiny spark of light led them to heaven. But now the sun of righteousness shines on us. What excuse shall we offer if we still cling to earth? We have a great privilege and responsibility given where we are situated. And yet for as good as we have it, and I hope you've come to see that, we are still seeking the culmination of the promise. We have yet to fully receive it. It is this tension between the already and the not yet. How do I know this? Well, the book of Hebrews tells us in chapter 13, verse 14, it reads, For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. We have the down payment. We have the details of the promissory note. We have the first fruits of Christ's resurrection, but we still await the harvest. I think we all know this, that we haven't made it yet. We've seen the better present because we've seen it in relationship to the past. But now we see, and the author moves us to see that there is also a better future. One that is greater than our present. And so let's look at the second half of verse 40. I'm going to read it again for us to get the context running up to it. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Since God had provided something better for us. That apart from us... They should not be made perfect. The purpose, this is a purpose statement, so that the purpose of the future is the uniting of the past and the present. Don't misread the end of this sentence. The point is not that we, by our power, make the past perfect. That's not what's being said here. It is that they are not made perfect without us. This understanding of perfect here implies completion, a wholeness. Without us, they are not made complete. It makes me think of the image of a dining room table. 
And the father has family members all around the table, some already seated, and he's waiting for his last few children to come back. And he sits and waits, and at last he hears the door open, and the last few children walk in, they pull the chair out, and they sit down. And at that moment, the table is complete. The chairs are filled. And he looks each one in the eye and he says, Isn't this perfect? His plan is complete. His children are home under his roof where they belong. Oh, we're called to appreciate the past and the present, but brothers and sisters, we are ultimately called by this text to appreciate the future and what is still yet to come. We, like the saints of old, are travelers and sojourners, and we have yet to arrive at this city. We have yet to sit down with our father and our brothers and our sisters of the past and to feast together in fellowship. And I know many of us are discouraged by this world, and rightfully so. We've taken some hits and blows to the head, maybe even this morning or this past week. But remind yourself this morning where you're headed. Position yourself rightly in relationship to the past. Understanding the present in order to look forward to the future. The Scriptures give us this scene that the saints of old never saw like we can see. When the saints of old were on their journey and they looked out the window of their plane, you know what they saw? They saw darkness. They saw clouds. No view. They could feel the shaking of the plane, the turbulence of the rough air, and they could hear the voice of the pilots. And they trusted in the voice of the pilot to get them to where they needed to go. But we, we are on the plane when it breaks through the clouds. When all of a sudden the clouds go away and out the window the sky opens up. And we're elevated and we see a scene where we see the city from far off. We can see it lit up. We see the lights. We see the end in a way that they never saw it. We see what they long to see, and we rejoice in it. And so what do we do? What do we do this week? We look out the window. We pull the screen up, the shade. We get so preoccupied with what's going on on the plane to pause and appreciate where the pilot is taking us, right? This happens to me. I'm more concerned with the baby that's crying a couple rows back, the couple that's arguing right behind me. I'm more concerned with the turbulence that we're existing. Maybe we should turn around and head back to smoother air. The pilot says, why would I do that? Look out the window, Look where you're going. Look where I'm taking you. 
by my providential hand. Look at the better view you have and the better future that you are flying towards. Revelation 21, 1-4 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem. It's the Scripture today that helps us get our bearings, get situated. It positions us in the truth. And the truth is what's ahead is better than we can imagine. And it is secured this morning for those who are found in Christ, who live by faith. So may we not take it for granted. For God has given us a better present and a better future. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we marvel at your magnificent plan and at your wisdom, O oh God. Thank you for the truth of your word. Press it deep within our souls this week and encourage us in the present as we look towards the future. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.